Let's pray. Oh, great Father. Oh, great King. Oh, great sovereign ruler. Holy one. Magnificent. Inexhaustible. Thank you, great Father and King. You are holy and righteous and good. We thank you for your word, Lord. You've not left us alone. Father, these are your words. We pray now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and apply them to our hearts. Holy Spirit, come with power, convicting our hearts, turning them to Christ. Lord, for hearts that are dead here this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit would blow life into them. They might hear Christ and see him as the Savior for their souls. Father, we need help. I need help. So we ask for your help this morning. Come, fill us by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the good things about uh, working through books of the Bible um, on Sunday morning is that you, as the congregation, we, as the people of God, get to read ahead. We get to track along from Sunday to Sunday with what's going on. And I trust that you all have been doing the same. You have, from week to week, been reading ahead and looking at the text that we are going to examine each Sunday morning. And so if you have been reading ahead, perhaps you uh, got to chapter 6, and as you were reading through chapter 6, you got to verse 14. And as you read the title, and it says, The Death of John the Baptist, perhaps that's what it says in some of your Bibles, you thought to yourself, well, this seems to be out of place. It, it doesn't seem to flow with the way the book has been progressing, and so the temptation might be is to just read over this account, think that Mark kind of just... Uh, just filling us in on the details of John the Baptist. And so you might think it best to skip over it and not pay it any attention. Well, that would not be wise of us, especially for those of us who believe that the all Scripture, all Scripture is profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting. And so this is here for us. With each week, you see Mark, as we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, you see Mark building a case for Jesus. He's got an end that he's seeking to accomplish, and we are tracking right along with him. Week after week, 
We are examining and looking at these various encounters as Jesus is seeking to demonstrate his power, his authority, and why he has come. Word is spreading, right? Word is now out and is spreading. Jesus has just and his disciples have gone to Galilee and they are, uh, they are spreading the message that the kingdom is coming and word is out. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus is going about spreading his, 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 his power, doing miraculous signs. And there are people trying to figure out who this Jesus is. There are many speculations about who Jesus is. And I think Mark wants us to get an idea, to get a sense of what the, what the people were thinking at the time. Trying to figure out who this Jesus really is. Ironically, that's no different than our day today. Mark tells us that the news of Jesus has reached as high as King Herod king of the region at the time. And so as uh, so people, as they have been doing throughout most of Mark's gospel, are, are trying to figure out who he is. And some, some are saying that, that Jesus is a prophet. Others are saying that he is Elijah. Many think that he is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Not much has changed, has it? There are still people trying to figure out who Jesus is. See, just the greatest prophet that has ever lived. Perhaps, perhaps he's just the greatest charismatic leader that the world has ever known and has started a movement that is second to none. You see, People are left asking the same questions about Jesus even 2,000, over 2,000 years later. People are still wondering who this Jesus is because when you are introduced to Jesus, when you hear about what he has done, you may not fully grasp who he is, but you know for sure that this is no ordinary man. We are left with only three possibilities, as C.S. Lewis says. That Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. One thing is for sure. One thing is for sure. He is not an ordinary man. And the people are trying to figure out who he is. Prophets, I mean, prophets perform miracles. But here was Jesus calming storms and raising people from the dead. No prophet had ever done that. Casting out demons. Just wasn't adding up. Could this, could this be Elijah? Perhaps. Perhaps a, a plausible theory. But even still, Jesus had more authority than it seemed. Mark tells us that Herod, Herod the king of the region, was convinced that he knew who Jesus was. He says, he says in verse 16 that this for sure is John the Baptist raised from the dead. You see, King Herod, King Herod had had an encounter with John the baptizer. And it was an encounter that he would never forget. And it's as if 
almost in the midst of, of, of Mark writing this, right? As you're reading through this, Mark is writing the account about the growing discussion of who Jesus is, and, and he's bringing up Herod and how Jesus' popularity has even reached to Herod. And he remembers, he remembers that he hasn't mentioned the death of John the Baptist. You do remember in chapter 1, this, this is how Mark opens up his gospel. He opens up his gospel talking to us about John the Baptist. But as soon as Mark introduces Jesus, John is nowhere to be seen or heard of. We only get this small tidbit of information in chapter, chapter 1 and verse 14. Mark says this. He says, now after John was arrested... That's all he says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Perhaps unaware to Mark, but clear to John, and definitely at the, at the hand of God, of course, in the way Mark communicates to us about John, the manner in which his death comes up in his gospel reminds us that, God, that John accomplished exactly what he was sent to do. He came as a forerunner to Christ. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had some family come in town. And we told the kids that, we had, that, that family were coming, was come, were coming in town. And they were, they were all excited that we were going to have people staying at our house. But... They did hear that their cousin, their little cousin Cana, was going to be coming. Now, now they, they were excited that people were coming in, but they were really excited that their little baby cousin Cana was coming into town. And throughout the week, we had people come in on Monday and Tuesday. Cana wasn't coming in until Saturday. As the excitement came that, that week, as people were coming to the house, the kids were all enthralled with all of our guests as they were coming to the house. But all the guests knew, as much attention as they were receiving that day, as much attention as they received when they first came to the house, they knew that they weren't going to get the same excitement. They knew that they were only a foretaste of Cana coming on Saturday. Their excitement was only for a short time. And here is John the Baptist knowing that he is just a forerunner. He's just a pointer. John has been sent for one purpose. John the Baptist, he was no doubt a prophet. He was a truth teller, the one who declared, thus says the Lord. But he was not just any prophet. John the Baptist was the last he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the one who spoke after there was this 400 years of silence. And when he arrives on the scene, Micah, Malachi and Isaiah tell us why he had come. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John knew exactly why he had come. He knew exactly why he had come. His message was clear. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He came preaching a message of repentance. Turn from your sins. That's what condemns you. Turn from them. 
Some listened. But others, but others just thought this prophet was crazy. Out in the wilderness, eating honey and locusts, this was just a crazy man. This prophet must be crazy. But we know John was not crazy for a few reasons. For a few reasons. One, John was not crazy because his truth, the truth which he foretold, was rooted in Scripture. In Luke 3, verses 10 through 14, the crowds, the crowds, as, as John is out in the wilderness, the crowds are coming to John to be baptized. But they also want to know from John how they are to live, what they are to do. And they're basically asking, John, John, how should we live now that the, that the kingdom is coming? Now that we have been baptized, how are we to live? What does John say to them? He doesn't give them his opinion, but he directs them to Scripture. They come and ask John about how they are to share. And John quotes Isaiah 58 and 7. And he says, it is not to share your bread with, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless Pour into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Here is John appealing scripture, giving them scripture, basing his truth in scripture. When the tax collectors come and they ask John, what are we supposed to do? He quotes Daniel 4 and 27. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, be, may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. John's truth, repent and believe, turn from your sins. John's truth came from scriptures. So we know that he was not crazy, for they rested, his truths rested in scripture. But we also see that John was not crazy because his truth-telling was not to make much of him. It was not to make much of him. John's concern was not about himself. He was not in the wilderness seeking to gather followers for JohnTheBaptist.com. He was, he was not about himself. John came to point to the one who was coming. The truth that he proclaimed was a truth that led his hearers to Christ came to prepare the way of the Lord. John says, listen, 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 I am not the opening, I, I'm not the main event. I'm only an opening act. There's one coming. There's one coming that is greater than me. He says in Matthew 3 and 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was the forerunner. It wasn't about him. He was pointing people to Christ. We also know that John was not crazy because his truth-telling was not biased. It was not biased. John's proclamation of truth fell on all ears. When the crowds came to him, he told them to repent. 
But that was not his only audience. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they came to him as well. And what, and what, and what happens when they come? John says to this, this to them in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. He says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John, John's message fell on all ears. Truth to everyone. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And as we see in in our account today, his truth-telling included included even the king. The prophet whom God had sent spoke truth to all those who were before him, even those who did not care to listen. Stephen uh, Stephen Nichols, in one of his books, um, talks about um, describing the life of Polycarp, one of the early Christian martyrs. He says this, being a Christian can sometimes mean taking a costly stand. And sometimes those whose commitment and allegiance goes first to Christ may find themselves at odds with the world and culture in which they live. Speaking the truth is not often popular and and John the Baptist soon finds this out. John's truth-telling eventually, eventually led to his death. According to Mark, we're in our account now. According to Mark, John was opening his mouth, perhaps, where people thought it best to be silent. John was aware of some of the immoral affairs of the king. And if you know anything about monarchs, what, what the king says you do and what the king does, you don't question. Well, Herod, Herod Antipas, who was the king, the reference king at this time. Now, you hear Herod, and perhaps you're thinking about when Jesus was born. And that Herod, who sought to kill Jesus as a baby. Well, this is a father. That Herod is the father of this Herod king, uh, the king of, of Galilee, the king of this region, Herod Antipas. And there were a number of these kings throughout regions. And so they were kind of like a mini king. They weren't really the king. They were a mini king over various regions, right? And so they had a number of different brothers. So Herod Antipas had a brother named Philip. Well, he liked Philip's wife. But Herod Antipas was married. His brothers was married. Well, Herod didn't see that as a problem. And so he divorces his wife, forces Philip to divorce, uh, forces Philip's wife, Herodias, to divorce Philip so that they could get married. Here is 
Herod marrying his sister-in-law, Herodias. Needless to say, this was blatant sin. This was blatant sin, and John finds out, and his desire is to speak truth to them. He, he says, John, John's truth is rooted in Scripture, right? That's what we said. So not only is this immoral, immoral, this is a sin. This is morally a moral sin and against the law of God. It was against the Levitical law that we see in Leviticus 18 and 16 and 20 and 21 where it says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. This was a sin. This was a sin, not only a moral, but a sin against God. And so John calls out Herod and Herodias for their immoral behavior. But Luke tells us that, that, that Herod was not even a great king. And so John was, was, was calling him out on, on some of his other injustices. John was just giving it to him, calling him out, calling his sin out. Well, Herodias wants no part of this. She wants no part of this. Um, uh, uh, she, she's angry with John. She's angry with John. And she says, John, mind your own business. I'm having too much fun doing this. Why are you calling me out? She is so upset with John that she wants to kill John. She wants him dead. But, but Herod was not so quick to, to kill John. He had been listening to John. Listen to what it says in verse, in verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. For Herod, John was, John was, John was different. Perhaps Herod was feeling some sort of conviction. Perhaps he knew that what he was doing was wrong, but he felt trapped. Perhaps he loved his sin too much, too concerned about what it would cost him. Sound familiar? That's a, I mean, that's a common rebuttal to truth. I'm sure we've all heard it, and I'm, and I'm sure there are some of us here this morning who have said it. You hear the truth of the gospel convicting you of your sin. The scriptures are opened up to you. Truth comes forth. You know what you are doing is wrong. You know God is not pleased, but you're having too much fun. You're afraid of what embracing truth will force you to give up. You feel, you feel stuck in this sin. Brothers and sisters, do not hear truth and turn your back. Don't, don't put it off for another day. You're never stuck. You're never too deep. 
Sin may be enjoyable for a time, but sin's end is never. It is never, never fun. Brothers and sisters, when you hear truth, do you understand that that is the grace of God to you? Herod heard truth. He didn't embrace it. What he did was he sent it to jail. He put it off. Brothers and sisters, when you hear truth, don't put it off. Embrace it. Turn from your sin. It is the grace and the mercy of God to you. Turn and repent of your sin. Whatever. Whatever you think you will lose. Whatever you think you will lose, be it fame, be it fortune, whatever you think you will lose pales in comparison to what you will gain. It pales in comparison. And I'm not talking about gaining money. I'm not talking about you come to Christ and you gain money or you gain health. Brothers and sisters, you gain Christ. You gain peace. You gain freedom from sin. Hear truth and embrace it. Don't put it off. Whatever you think you'll lose pales, pales in comparison. So Herod here still, instead of embracing truth, he puts it off, sends John to prison. But unfortunately, that is not the end of the story. I've said it before. You've heard it before. Sin's ultimate goal is to snuff out truth. It's to suppress it. It is, I mean, it's relentless. It is relentless in seeking to bring about that end. And it does not give up. That is what Romans 1 tells us, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Despite all the truth that we are given, be it in creation, being God's mercy giving to us truth, the goal of sin is to seek to suppress it and to put it to death. And because, and because sinners have a father who is a liar, one who seeks to suppress it. One who is deceitful. His children are often the same. Sin manifests itself through deceit and lies. And here is Herodias. Herodias has a plan. She, she, she knows the king is having a party. And she sees this as an opportunity to completely snuff out truth. She wants to eliminate John for good. Herod's party is the place to be. He invites all the, the government officials, all of, his, all of his cabinet. They're all there at this party. All men, and, and there are important people of Galilee there. There's food, there's drink, and there is entertainment. Herodias' daughter enters the room. No doubt in my mind sent by Herodias. She sent her into the room to perform a dance for Herod and his guests. And apparently, she, she dances so well 
guests are so pleased that the king decides that he wants to offer her a reward. He says, you can have up to half of my kingdom. Now, he obviously was not going to give her half of his kingdom. This is a figure of speech. He was pleased to the point where she could, she could have whatever she wants. And not, and not knowing what to ask for, she runs out to her mother and says, what, what shall I ask for? And without hesitation, mother says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And again, John says, uh, Mark says here, immediately she went in to the king and asked for the head of John the Baptist. Not just his head, but she wanted it on a platter. And then we read these sad words in verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Brothers and sisters, do you see? You see, this is why it's not enough to just be perplexed by truth. It's not enough to just be intrigued by Jesus. Because when the heat comes, and heat is coming, remember, sin's end is to suppress truth. When the heat comes, you need to know that you belong to Christ and you have been firmly planted standing on truth. Polycarp, who I mentioned earlier, 86 years old, Bishop of Smyrna, and about to be put to death in a coliseum. All he had to do to save his life was to recant of what he had said. Here were Polycarp's words. 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Herod was too concerned about his reputation with the people. He had heard truth, but instead of embracing it, he put it off, sent it to prison, and now all eyes are on him. But Herod had nothing to stand on. He had no truth. Too concerned about his life, what it would cost him to stand for truth and to save face, he orders the execution of John the Baptist. Now remember the story that we're in. Mark here is telling us about about the popularity of Jesus. And in in telling us the story, Herod's name comes up. And when Herod's name comes up, it's almost as if he flashes back. he, he, He flashes back to Herod and to John the Baptist's death. You see, the context here is that Herod was convinced that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead because of what he did to John the Baptist. 
He thought that John had come back to torment him. He thought that John was here punishing him for what he had done. He was frightened, scared of what he had done to John the Baptist. But I hope you see it. The truth that John proclaimed was pointing to the one who was coming. Mark's goal in his gospel is to tell us of the one who had come. Herod, Herod, Jesus the Christ had come. Jesus is here, the one whom John was pointing to, and you are still concerned about John the Baptist? Brothers and sisters, Herod feared the truth teller instead of truth itself. Jesus had come. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Herod, your sin was not ultimately against John the Baptist. It was against the God who created you. It is him whom you should fear. Is that not what John says in speaking about Christ in Matthew 3 and 12? He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, but the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Listen. Listen, people know truth when they hear it. They know truth when they hear it. Herod knew truth when he heard it. How do I know this? Here's how I know, because when you share truth with somebody, the next time you see them, they avoid you, right? They avoid you. It's like, it's like the truth that you have is a disease. They don't want to be near you. They don't want to get too close. It's not that they don't like you. They fear you. They fear the truth you are going to seek to proclaim. What they fail to realize is they fail to realize the one that that you desire to point them to. The one whom they should fear. The one whom they can avoid. The one whom they should fear. One day we will all stand before him. All of us, those who are standing on Christ, have nothing to fear. But those who are not in Christ should fear him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This Christ is the one we will all stand before. We tend to... Don't don't fear me. Don't fear the the preacher who is standing declaring truth. Don't try to avoid me. Fear Christ, the one whom we can't avoid. Here is Herod, scared because of what he has done to John the Baptist, when in actuality he should be scared of God himself, who had come in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, there are, two, there are two types of people in this account. 
Two, two types of people that we see. There are those who hear truth and suppress it. And there are those then that speak truth. It is clear, it is clear that Herod, Herodias' wife, and their daughter, the guests, all these people in this story heard the truth and suppressed it. They had a chance to stand up for truth and were silent. But there is a truth teller. There's a truth teller in the story. There's a a truth teller in this account. One who not only proclaimed truth, but stood for truth. John the Baptist stood for truth. But if you have been listening to me, maybe some of you have checked out. But But if you've been listening to me, didn't I say that those who turn from their sin, those who embrace truth are far better than those who don't? Didn't I say that? But in this account, that does not seem to be the case. John the Baptist, the truth teller, the one who stood for truth, is the one who lost his head. He's the one who died in the account. How is he in a better place? How is he in a better position? Well, I want you to turn over with me to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. You see, Mark doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't get into all the details as to when, uh, what happened when, when uh, John was in prison. But Luke does. You see, you see, John has some doubts. He's a little concerned. He doesn't, he, he doesn't know um, um, what's going on. I mean... He's like, Jesus has come into the world and I'm in prison. What is going on? And he's a little confused and he's not sure. Perhaps he was one of those who, who, who thought that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him a couple of questions. And Luke 7 and 18 says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist, they came to Jesus, John the Baptist has sent to us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here is, here is John in prison, not sure what is going to happen to him, waiting, trying to figure out what is going on, and he gets word back from his disciples that indeed Jesus is the one who had come. 
You see, Jesus here is referencing Luke chapter 4, where he goes into the temple and he opens up the scrolls and says that the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the captives. He quotes Isaiah 61. John knows this and realizes, yes, the Messiah has come. Yes, I stood for truth. I stood for truth, but it was worth it. Yes, my head may get chopped off, but it is worth it because Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come. And he gets word back from his disciples, the dead shall be raised. John the Baptist could stand for truth. Sure, he went to his death. Sure, that that Messiah, that Christ had come. And he had come to defeat sin and death. Brothers and sisters, we all in our daily lives, all of us, all of us have points in our lives where it will call for us to stand for truth. If you're a Christian, you're going to come against the the, the ideas of the world. Brothers and sisters, in those times, it's going to be difficult. You may face persecution. Perhaps you may even lose your life. John reminds us, our text reminds us, Mark reminds us that it is all worth it because Messiah has come. Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, has come. Standing for truth in this world is difficult, but it's worth it because we gain far more than what we will lose in this world. Let's pray. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, to stand for truth in this world is difficult. We know trials of persecution. We know the suffering that awaits those who desire to stand for truth, Lord. Pray that we would embrace it, Lord. That we would not put it off. That we would embrace truth and stand there, Lord. Stand in Christ, knowing that whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it, Lord. We ask for your help. 
And Father, we pray for those who are here that are not standing on this truth, who are not resting in Christ. I pray that you would help them not to put away truth this morning. I pray that they would know that it's not me that they are to fear, but Christ himself who knows all of their sin. But oh, they can run to him, turn from their sin, plead forgiveness. And Father, that you would be willing, that you would be willing to grant them repentance and faith. This is what we ask, O oh Lord. We pray that you would be willing to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.